This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. This is Brandon Kelly, the host of Blue Wire's new podcast, Golden Goal. From Lionel Messi to Marta to Pele. Our show takes a deep dive into soccer superstars. What a World Cup for Megan From Zlatan Ibrahimovic's brash confidence with the play to back it up, to Megan Rapino's heroic outspokenness and World Cup flair. Each episode examines a personality of the world's game. We'll dig into Maradona's Hand of God performance and subsequent downfall. The teenage trio at Dortmund that signaled the next generation of superstars. And that infamous headbutt that slung Zinedine Zidane from glory. Golden Goal. Soccer stars and the moments that made them. Premiering this summer on Blue Wire. What's up, everyone? Kenny here. Welcome to a special episode of Prospects 101 brought to you by our partners at Blue Wire Pods and Bet Online. We are excited to welcome onto the program Will Healy, head coach of the Charlotte 49ers. Coach Healy provides great insight into the program and is very entertaining and an overall super authentic person. Thanks to Coach Healy and the Charlotte Athletic Department for carving out some time to hop on the program during these unprecedented times. Without further ado, please enjoy the interview. Welcome back to this special edition of Prospects 101. I'm Gless, and I'm always joined by my co-hosts, Pastel and Kenny. And we are thrilled to have the 2017 Eddie Robinson Award winner and the first coach to lead the newly branded Charlotte 49er football program to a bowl game. Uh, he played at the University of Richmond for now Wake Forest head coach David Clawson and the William & Mary uh, head coach Mike London. Started his coaching career as an assistant at the University of Tennessee Chattanooga. Uh, from there, he was hired as the head coach at Austin P. and then in 2019 was hired by Charlotte to lead its fo- football program, and that is Coach Will Healy. Coach, thanks for joining us today. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to get a chance to get on here and, and talk to you all and, and uh, see how much homework you've done because uh, <laughs> obviously you ran out of guests if you're talking to 20 and 27 head coach. <laughs> What, you know, Coach, well, you, you've, been, you've been on our radar for a while. I've been a big fan following you since Austin P. so we've done a little bit of homework. We're actually excited to get you on the program, for real. So I'll be honest, too. I didn't really know of you about a year and a half ago, and then Kenny came up, and he's like, hey, there's this coach at Austin P. or just finished going to Austin P. got uh, hired by Charlotte, and he's like probably one of that – he's that next coach in line to be like the next great coach. He's just one of the like – a coaching prospect, more or less, talking about prospects. Uh, he was really high on you, so we did a little bit of research and kind of found out a little bit of your background. We're like, oh, wow, like this guy's kind of the real deal. And then really what you did last year at Charlotte kind of just uh, reiterated that more or less. I sent Kenny 200 bucks, so that's the only reason. So don't – Brandon, he was, he, was being, he was being nice. I was, I was PR guy. 
that's right. That's right. Coach, we live uh, just kind of live in, in weird, unprecedented times with COVID, and, and we like to joke around the show that we've all gotten the COVID-15 just because we've been quarantined for two or three months. So players are starting to get back on a campus. How, um, you know, how are they looking getting back? At, you know, I know you guys have kind of tried your best to make sure that they're staying in shape and, and, and home, but kids are starting to get back. How's this team looking? And, uh, you know, how much progress was done from the, from the, uh, the weightlifting and the, the getting in shape, you know, as they get back here into Charlotte? I, I bet you I've gained 20. If oh, y'all for sure. Uh, <laughs> Haven't we all? Haven't I've we all? I've got, like, the, the most undefined body in the history of, <laughs> of coaching. But, um, you know, it's so weird right now because you can't be around them. And, and so I, I can't know who was there, who missed. Uh, how are they, you know, how's, how's this guy running? Uh, how are his movements? I mean – when you get freshmen on campus or a transfer on campus, it's, it's like opening up a Christmas present. Like you want to know how do they look, how do they run, and and I, I can't ask any of those questions right now. The first time that we can be on the field with them is July the 13th. So I, I tell you what, the the job that these strength coaches are doing across the country, I mean, obviously I'm partial. I think we got the best one. Um, it, th- their job is difficult. I mean, it's organizing – Right now, we have no more than 15 in a group outside. So every single morning, 4 a.m., our strength staff is here taking weights from inside the weight room, outside, wow. onto the, the, the practice fields. And then, you know, we're, we're going to check temperature every day, and we're going to do a questionnaire every day, and nobody can touch the same weight. It's got to be 30 minutes until somebody else touches the same weight. So what these guys are doing right now to, to get these guys stronger in the weight room is, I mean, like – Kevin Durant, I mean, the, the real hero, right? Um, yeah. <laughs> and so I, I, um, I hear a lot more of the what's, the what's the line look like? What does the process look like with getting them in? How is the time period? You know, what's the overall morale uh, more so than I get? Like, how do they look? How do they – I mean, I just – I can't be around them. Even to the mm-hmm. point of moving freshmen into the dorms, it's like – it's such an awkward time in that I want to be over there, but I know all it takes is me to go hug on one of those parents and because and, that's what I want to do when I see them and, and get it. And next thing you know, we're all shut down. So uh, it, it is a it's a really crazy time, uh, but I think our strength staff's done a great job of making sure our players uh, get the most out of this time. Yeah, it's so unprecedented. And, you know, again, we, we talked to – a coach at an AAC school and you know he said kind of the similar thing he's like it's just it's just crazy how things move and what we were allowed to do we can't do that anymore and you know we're just all just making this up as we go and just kind of along that lines coach let's talk a little a bit about kind of how COVID has impacted recruiting um you know you can't bring couldn't bring kids into the spring you can't have um you know, bring them in for spring practice, can't bring them on campus, can't show them the facility, can't do all these things you, that you normally could in order to kind of sell your, sell your program. Um, so kind of talk about that a little bit and how that changed and kind of maybe some unique things that you had to do that you never had to do before because of all of this. How about we signed a, um, we signed a four-star offensive tackle out of, out of Carthage, Texas uh, that, that signed with us. 
Um, and and Lee Grimes, our, our new offensive line coach that came from Texas A&M, uh, recruited him, did a phenomenal job. And we were planning on – he signed sight unseen. So we were we were going to bring him up in, you know, April and – and or you know into into March whatever it was, well we could never get him up here. So we had to file a waiver to the NCAA to get a guy who was already committed here to go ahead. I mean I wanted to do it right. I wanted his family to be able to see it. I wanted to make sure this guy was this is where he really wanted to be. And and we had to file a waiver to the NCAA for a guy who had signed an NLI to come take an official visit here because of the of the times you know wow. and. And then you got, you know, a family eating dinner on an official visit with masks on. You know, everybody's going downtown and mm-hmm. uh, eating at some of the nicest restaurants in, in Charlotte with, with masks on. And it feels so like you don't feel like you're allowed to have the same relationship that you used to be able to have. And, and I'm, a, I'm a relationship-driven guy. Um, I think that our staff wins recruits when we can get them on campus and show that Mm-hmm. I know everybody's selling the same thing, but I think there's a different feel when you come on our campus. And so when you can't do that, it makes it a little bit more difficult. Um, I think our team is close to being zoomed out, you know, <laughs> yeah, uh, and, no doubt. We're on zoom so much that I'm careful with how many more team meetings we're doing. Uh, but I'm not sure that zoom may not be the way we're going to have to meet all the way until August. Uh, and even at that time, I think we're going to have to have, you know, a room that's three times the size or whatever, uh, crowd we have in there. So um, recruiting has obviously been affected. Um, I, everybody's going through the same thing, so it's not woe is me. Uh, but I, I think that we've got to find creative ways to make sure that, um, you know, even games, I think games mm-hmm. are going to be affected, you know, mm-hmm. with, with having recruits on the sidelines and some of those interactions. Uh, so we're going to have to Zoom. We're going to have to call. We're going to have to go back and fall back on some of the mm-hmm. relationships that we've already built. Um, and and make sure that we stay on top of the recruiting. Yeah, Coach, and, and what I was going to say uh, to follow up on that with you, we see the numbers. There's been a there's been so many more recruits who have committed this year compared to the last couple of years. Early, are you concerned at all about any potential decommitments or a, or a, like you know a mass exodus once you know maybe things start to to lighten up? I think what's going to happen is yes. I I, I think in some aspects. Uh, prospects are either panicking or they're bored, mm-hmm. right? And so they're going to commit somewhere sometimes without the staff having ever really seen them. And so the six foot four, 350 pound on paper offensive lineman shows up at an ACC school and he's six one, two hundred and twenty 220 pounds. <laughs> you know, I, and I'm not saying it's going to ever be that diff- drastic, but I mean, there's a lot to somebody seeing you run around in person or somebody see how you move in person or, you're, you know, I, I, a lot of these guys are taking commitments from guys that they probably won't take. And so I think it's, it's, you know, is it a little bit scary? Uh, I mean, the only thing that would be scary for me is us taking a, a commitment from somebody that we didn't really know that well. Yeah. Uh, and, and this has made it much more difficult to, to get to know people, but I, I think recruiting is far from over, even from the committed guys. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. We're kind of switching gears to the uh, team this year and, and the outlook on 2020. You know, 
anytime you have to replace a guy like Alex Highsmith, it can be tough. Players like Alex, you know, don't necessarily grow on trees. But you have a kid on the roster uh, in Marquise Watts that is looking to elevate his game to the next level and, and really had an outstanding year last year. Do you expect him to be even more productive this year to kind of help fill that void and, and lead what's really looking like a deep front seven for you guys? Yeah, I, I think Marquise is – Marquise has got some natural athletic ability that I think um, Alex had to work his way to be able to, to get. Uh, there's not another Alex Heisman. Um, and, and I, you know, I think you're talking about a guy who was a school start walk on that, you know, as a fifth year senior in his, with his fourth different, excuse me, his fourth different defensive coordinator has 14 sacks and, is an AP All-American for the first time in school history. I mean, they, they don't they don't make them like him. Yeah. Um, I think Tyreek Harris, the one who missed all of last year with a, with a back injury, who's back for us, has got a chance to be really special. And um, I, a personality that is is similar uh, to Alex, he, he's probably a little bit more of a jokester, but they have the same work ethic. Um, I think he could have a big year. I think what you hope Marquise Watts understands is the day-to-day commitment that Alex Highsmith made. Mm-hmm. And even as a fifth-year senior, when he didn't have to buy into a culture, when he didn't have to buy into a new D-line coach, when he was moved from basically a four-out, a, a rush-in, five-technique, six-technique, um, every day he was the last one off the practice field working on his craft. And And you hope that – Marquise saw that and understands what it looks like to be a pro. And, uh, and, and so I think that's where Marquise can make the biggest strides because a natural pass rusher, gifted, strong, mm-hmm. uh, explosive, he's got all those traits that, that, that I think Alex had to work out a little bit more. But the, the how to prepare the intangible sides of, of Alex Highsmith is what you hope Marquise was really able to learn something from. Very cool. So, Coach, so you kind of talk about that buy-in you get from the players and the coaching staff. So I kind of grew up in the athletic realm, you know, through my high school days and so forth. And now I've been in the military the last eight years, and I've really seen leadership across all different spectrums. And they really are translatable when you really come down to the principles of leadership. Some of the best leaders I've seen across the time, again, in the coaching realm and then in the military, they're usually authentic, accountable, competitive. They really look at a situation that may look like failure today, but really they see that as an opportunity to – uh, to grow somebody, to have that, that dynamic growth and kind of a path to success. Now, I was watching a YouTube video the other day, and you were at the, co- the Coach Forum in 2017, and you were kind of highlighting some principles that kind of like really touched home with me because I'm like, man, that's kind of like how I see my time in the military, like when I'm in charge of formation. Some of the things you mentioned were like, you know, stay true to yourself, bring energy and enthusiasm, surround yourself with good people that share the same vision, and lastly, uh, you mentioned that you're never losing, but you're always winning or you're learning. And I just thought it was very interesting the way you kind of presented those principles of leadership because it's not only in the athletic realm, but it's in the military realm. I'm sure it's in the corporate realm. It's just being in charge of people. So really my question is, over the last – that was like three four years ago. Over the last three or four years, have your thoughts on these kind of core principles changed at all? Have they kind of been reiterated? Um, have you developed any new ones uh, to really create that buy-in from the program standpoint, and not only your players but your coaches? Well, first, thanks for what you do. Um, you know, I was a, a wannabe at Air Force Prep and, and couldn't <laughs> cut it, so you're a heck of a lot tougher than I am. Um, no, I, I, I don't – honestly, um, if, if you have to be somebody different, I don't want to do it. 
And I think it's the greatest profession on the face of the earth because especially in crazy times like now in the United States, I mean, I get to go into a team room with a bunch of guys who don't look like me, talk like me, aren't from the same background and tell them I love them and I care about them and, and work with guys who are, are the same way. Um, I, I get to live a fantasy world in a, in a lot of different avenues. Um, and if you can't be, uh, if you can't work with your best friends, if you can't, uh, you know, celebrate success, if you can't hire people who won't let you fail, all of those types of things. I mean, I recruit and I hire people I like. Mm-hmm. If I don't like you and I don't want to go wake up and go be around you every day, I, I'm not going to hire you. I don't care what kind of coach you are. I don't care what kind of player you are. I don't like you. I, I'm not and, – and not to act like I've got some magic potion with – some people don't like me, you know. <laughs> right, you know right. It's not real hard to figure out. Like, <laughs> I'm not perfect by any stretch. So – uh, it's just, but for me, it's a quality of life thing is that like surround yourself with a bunch of people you are fired up to go to work with every day. The hardest part about COVID for me, coronavirus for me, and this is a, you know, this is not a very polit- politically correct thing to say, but I, I, the hardest part for me has been being away from those people that I've loved mm-hmm. seeing on a regular basis. Right. The coolest part about it for me has been being at home with my family, my wife and two, two little boys every single day. So there's give and take and, Unfortunately for us, this this uh, virus hasn't really hit home, uh, you know, in, in we haven't had a whole lot of people sick. And so, but it's it's what makes it so much fun to come to work every day. No, I, have I learned a lot? Shoot, yeah. Have I learned how ignorant I am? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, you know, but changing what I hoped you could do as a head coach and how I hoped you could act and how I hoped that – you could, you know, involve family and, and hire friends and all that type of stuff and have fun. No, I, I, I if you can't do it, I don't want to do it, you know, and, and so we, we've had we've had a blast. That's cool. Well, Coach, I, I can say as an extreme extrovert, you're not alone in, in missing, missing seeing the people you love hanging around with during these times. I, I feel your pain especially, so I get it. <laughs> yeah, it is uh, – I got a lot of respect for what my wife does, staying at home with our two little boys. <laughs> I bet. Uh, we got a five-year-old and a 17-month-old. And, um, I mean, the 17-month-old is into everything. The five-year-old – like, working from home with a five-year-old is not possible. <laughs> I will challenge anybody in the country who tells me that they can legitimately work from home with a five-year-old because I, we don't – I don't have an office, so we just moved a little – table in the hallway that had some lamps on it in our bedroom and so every day the five-year-old and the 17-month-old knew exactly where I was they'd run in there right during the middle of a team meeting you know which I'm fine that that's the way life is around here anyway uh you'd be doing a I mean Eli my five-year-old ran in there butt naked one time when I was doing a tv <laughs> uh you know zoom call so um that's hilarious you got a cool even the NFL draft I thought was really cool you know just yep real people, you know, and, and that's what life is like. I mean, you're on the radio and you're 17 months old screaming in your ear. That's real life from home, you know? So there's been some really fun parts about it too. Like you said, coach, some give and take. And I, I I see that every day with people that I work with and cause they're like, man, I can't wait to get back into the office just so I can get stuff done because (laughs) it's just like you said, kids run around chaos in the house and, and all that. So I think anybody listening to this podcast can 
to really identify that. Now, Coach, let me change a little bit. This is actually my favorite question. So I, I, I want to talk a little bit about offensive scheme. You know, just looking last year, just watching, you know, a few game highlights. Of, you know, I watched Appalachian State game. Um, you know, I, I would categorize kind of what you guys do on offense as the power spread, right? So a good quarterback run game, multiple tight ends, H-backs, good mix of zone and gap scheme, uh, and then you mix in some RPO game in there. So tell me a little bit kind of how you developed this philosophy from a schematic standpoint and kind of who were some key influences um, that really uh, <clears throat> kind of spoke to you when you decided that this was the style of offense that you wanted to run schematically? Well, I am not Bill Walsh of football by any stretch. Uh, <laughs> you really want to ask a bunch of football questions. Uh, the guy that I learned the most ball from, um, you know, is our offense coordinator now that coached me in college, Mark Carney. So that's been fun. Um, you know, I, I think if you went back, I, I mean, I, I loved watching Amani Edwards play. Mm. Um, and, nice. and we played them twice whenever I was in, in college, when I was at Richmond. And, and I had plenty of time to be able to watch him because I wasn't getting a whole lot of playing time. Uh, and, and I think running the quarterback was always something that, you know, how to go from like the philosophy of what I was at Air Force and then what Dave Paulson was at Richmond and how to kind of combine the two with being able to run a little bit more. It's what I love to do. I was, you know, still am 5'9", five, 5'10", five, and, and it was hard for me to see in front of, you know, standing in the pocket behind those big boys. So mm -hmm. being on the run and, and, you know, just playing backyard football was something that I always loved to do. Um, we, we had a great one um, at, at Chattanooga. Jacob Huseman, Rush Huseman's uh, son, was a, you know, a really powerful physical runner that, uh, that we were able to, to use in the power read, counter read, uh, zone read type game, um, you know, he was able to make it an 11-on-11 11 11 football and really spread the field, and, and we had a lot of success with him. Uh, we carried that over to uh, to when we were at at, uh, at Austin P. you know, and, and Jeremiah Oatesfall was a really, really good high school quarterback that we recruited and brought in and, and ran him a good bit. Javon Craig was another guy we ran zone read with. So had a lot of success running the quarterback. It takes the right guy. Um, and, and sometimes you worry about carries, but I, I think that it, I, I believe in it. Um, I believe in making it 11 on 11. I don't know that I've ever had, you know, w when we were at Chattanooga, we had a 21 personnel under center seventh round draft pick at, at quarterback. And if I had that, I'd be 21 personnel under center. Right. Play action, <laughs> hand the ball off to a, a, right. some good tailback that's dot in the eye. And, and let my six-foot-four guy be protected and push the ball down the field. We don't have that right now. We got a, we got a, a, a much better version of what Will Healy is, who was – that guy was – Chris Reynolds is probably 5'10", uh, you know, 200 pounds, former walk-on, got every characteristic you could possibly ever want as a quarterback, but he is not Joe Montana. And I, I was like, you wish you were Joe Montana, you know. But <laughs> it, so we got to do some things to make sure he throws it well enough, he runs it well enough, he's tough, he's physical, he's competitive, uh, brings out the best out of everybody. So running him is something we did a lot last year. He was a big threat in our run game. Um, you got to have another one to be able to run the one that you have right now. And, and I, I just – I believe in doing things on offense that help our defense. 
I've always been an offensive guy. I love offense, but I've always believed offensively we need to do things to help our defense. We don't need to throw it 150 times a game. We don't need to try to score 700 points. We need to do things that complement each other. And and I feel like running the quarterback, uh, winning the line of scrimmage, running the football in general uh, is something that, that is really good for a team football game. Yeah. And, Coach, uh, speaking of running the football, you know, it kind of segues perfect into what I wanted to ask you about. You know, losing last year's leading rusher, Benny LeMay, is obviously tough. But does, does having, you know, obviously you have an experienced Aaron McAllister coming back, and, and you talked about what Chris Reynolds can do in the run game. But does it also bring in someone like Trey Harbison, a two-year starter at Illinois, help kind of speed things up in the term of transition or at least make you feel a little easier about the transition this year? Yeah, I think um... – Aaron McAllister has gone from I'm okay being Benny LeMay's backup to like no I want to I want to be the guy mm-hmm. and and he's taken tremendous steps forward. We got nine spring practices in, so got a chance to kind of see what life would be like without Benny. Um, you know, I mean we're talking about replacing two two NFL draft picks and then a, a consecutive thousand yard rusher and your all time leading tackle. Um, so we've lost plenty of production, and, and Benny has been the focal point for, for a long time here. So it will be very difficult to replace him. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Aaron McAllister is – he had a tremendous spring. I think he looks like a total different back than he did a year ago. Uh, you know, Benny missed two two games with injuries, and uh, ABAC rushed for 1,000 yards or uh, 100 yards against middle um, uh, and, you know, showed that he can do it. Uh, and then we think Trey Harbison is special. Uh, you know, a, a thousand yard rusher in the MAC that I mean, he's he's good. He's really talented, and and he's been everything we could hope and more from a, a leadership and what kind of teammate he is. Uh, and we got to get some of those young guys going. You know, Elijah Turner's a, a really highly recruited uh, high school back from from Buford High School uh, in in right outside of Atlanta. We think he's different. Uh, Siobhan McEachern, um, you know, that, that we, we've got, um, you know, Calvin Camp's another guy that's got to be able to step up. I, I think we've got four or five that we think can do it. Um, it it's just those first two have to be really good. Trey and, Trey and AMAC have to have a big year. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partners, betonline.ag. Sports are slowly making their way back, and BetOnline is leading the way with the best odds and lines for all UFC, NASCAR, boxing, and soccer matches. And if you need even more, they have simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC simulations all day, every day, live on their website. Looking for something else other than sports? BetOnline has hundreds of casino games, poker tournaments, and prop bets to check out. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE for a free welcome bonus. That's one word, BLUEWIRE. BetOnline, your online wagering experts. Absolutely. So, uh, to kind of really continue on the, the prospect, now we're going to – I kind of want to highlight some guys that we think at least that could tra- translate into the NFL game. Three guys we had were Victor Tucker, your uh, wide receiver, we thought Jalen Fisher was a pretty good offensive lineman you had that seems like that one of those guys that just brings his lunch pail every day. And then uh, Ben DeLuca, who got hurt last year, obviously, but prior to that injury, probably one of the best tacklers that we've seen on that on that team. 
Um, and they all, you know, kind of have the height, the size, and it looks like most of the physical attributes really translate into the NFL. They have the production. I think Victor Tucker is probably the most interesting prospect from from uh, from my stance, just because the progression he made from his freshman to his sophomore year. I'm really, really excited to see what he does this year. Um, is there can you highlight any of those three guys we mentioned, or is there another guy on the team that you think has the ability to play in the NFL? Um, yeah, you know, the crazy thing about it is you're talking about a program that's played football for seven years, and you've had, in the last four years, you've had four fourth-round or better draft picks. Um, I mean, somebody, and, and not me, did a heck of a job recruiting these type of guys. <laughs> I, I just was fortunate enough to inherit them, uh, you know, and – Kudos to Brad Lambert for what, what he did with those guys. But right. I think we got a couple, you know. I, I mean, I, I think if if you said and, – and you had a great uh, explanation and, and description of Jalen Fisher, like I could not be more confident in where every snap is going to start uh, than, than having Jalen Fisher at center. The toughest, uh, the best person, the the – Best practice habits, the, I mean, smart, t- great team, you know, great teammate. Um, and I think he's really talented. I mean, I, I do. I think he's a guy that he can play at the next level. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been interesting to get Lee Grimes' take, you know. I mean, obviously, he's a guy who's worked at Texas A&M for a long time, played in the NFL, you know, coached it, uh, coached some some tremendous offensive lineman, like, what do you think? And he's like, yeah, no question about it. Jalen Fisher can play the national football game. you got to stay healthy and, and all of those type of things that go along with it. But, yes, no-brainer. Um, you know, you, you, you brought up Victor Tucker. I, I am extremely proud of where Vic has come from a maturity standpoint. Um, yeah. Vic's one of those guys who's really confident in his own skin and – understands his strengths, understands his weaknesses. And um, it was kind of like he, he had five or six games last year where I, I told him he was blinking, you know, was play, playing the old NCAA game. And he played with Calvin Johnson out there, and he started blinking. And it was like, I don't care who's covering him. I'm just going to throw the ball to him. Yep. Um, and, and I think the challenge for Vic will be to blink every game. You know, he can't go one game with no catches and another one with 16 catches. Uh He's got to be consistent over that time period. And so I think those are some things that he's going to work on, but there's no question from a body control, ball skills, route running ability. Uh, he, he's got some tremendous assets for him. Um, the other one that you brought up. Um, ben DeLuca. Ben DeLuca. Losing him the second game of the year last year against App State was a, was a big blow for us. Yeah. Um, and it's kind of when our defense started to really – yeah, we, we took a, a three or four game. Uh, I felt like we were practicing social distancing at, at that point. <laughs> and, um, you know, and finally we're able to get it back on the right track. But but Ben is is the safety net, you know, that he's going to get guys on the ground. He's He runs well. He's physical. He's got uh, a great head on his shoulders. Um, yes, I, I think he's another guy that, that can do it. I, I think you're, you're – um, those guys staying healthy, those guys being able to to have production and, and have big senior years is going to be really important. Um, I think any time, unless you're talking about a Ned Oliver type guy, right. the production that those guys have in, in, in the group of five is extremely important. Do they dominate their conference? Yep. Uh, and then what do they do against, you know, I mean, we're going to play Tennessee and Duke. I mean, those are probably going to be the two 
two film that these scouts are going to turn on first. So what what kind of games do those guys have? But mm-hmm. I think we got three or four other ones. I mean, and again, I think Amac and, and Trey Harvison, those are guys who can play at the next level. Um, I, you know, I, I think that um, it'll be interesting to see who emerges. Because if you ask this time last year, nobody really felt – I mean, Alex Highsmith went from an undrafted free agent type grade to a third-round draft. Yeah, good point. So production is a big part of that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Coach, uh, just to change it up a little bit, I, I, <clears throat> one of the things I think is extremely unique about, um, you know, your football program and just the Charlotte community in general is that it's it's one of the larger metropolitan areas in the South, and you're the only university that's really there playing football. Um, I know that there's a – I believe there's a couple of D2 programs, but talk a little bit about kind of the Charlotte community and how um, – you know, the passion for football and how they've kind of embraced you. And then ultimately the commitment to the university, obviously the building of the new stadium, um, you know, a couple years back and, you know, the, the commitment to be able to expand that stadium, which I think is awesome, right? That's, that's how they built it. And then of course the football uh, facilities, ultimately that commitment uh, to you in order to grow the program from what it is today and ultimately to what, you know, we all want it to be, which is, you know, one of the biggest, you know, uh, G5 programs in the country and, and really make a staple, at, um, you know, across the nation. I think the crazy part about it is you're talking, you know, 2011, where students are marching across campus with a goalpost in their hand saying, we want football. It's a powerful video, powerful image <clears throat> to, you know, really nine years later, you're you're in Conference USA and, you just played in your first ever bowl game. So, again, cannot give enough credit to, to Brad Lambert for what he did. Originally, starting as an FCS program to, oh, all of a sudden, you know, not only are you just starting a, a program in the FCS, but two years later, here you go, uh, go, how about you go compete in Conference USA and see how many games you can win? Um, that's a hard job. And, and, you know, what I think what he did to get it to the point where he got it is <clears throat> is exceptional, and he built a program literally, not just like going to take the Austin P job and and you know you win a couple games. He built a program from the ground up, designed every intricacy of the offices and the fields, and 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 did a tremendous job. Um, you know, I, I think that. The city was something that hadn't necessarily wrapped itself around our athletic department and in particular our football team. I don't know if enough people here knew that we even had a team. Uh, It was not an event to go to on Saturdays. And so I think the relationships in the community had to improve. I think uh, the relationships with high school coaches, high school prospects within the community needed to improve like it does everywhere, right? It's not saying anything bad about whoever was here, but I, I think that just being able to put a face with a name, uh, being involved in the community, having people want to come pull for you personally. I'll give you a great story. Uh, I got here, and I've never been an NBA fan, right? Okay. I just, it was too much. Unless it was WGN, Michael Jordan, I hadn't watched <laughs> the playoffs. I hadn't watched a whole lot of it. And I got an email from, from a guy named Ronald Norrid, uh, who was an assistant coach for the Charlotte Hornets. And he was like, hey, I've read some stuff about you. would love to get a chance to meet you. Um, and so he's like, I, I'll give you some tickets to that game if you want to come and we, we can meet. So 
I took a couple of the guys on staff when we went to a game and he took us through the facilities and we got a chance to meet Ronald and uh I mean exceptional dude. Like yeah. twenty nine years old, had been a G League head coach. Wow. I mean, he'll be an NBA head coach in the next two or three years. I mean he's the he's the guy. Uh and we became like great friends. Our families got to eat together. We talk all the time. He traveled with us on the road last year. Um, you know, I mean, just a, a really, really good friend of mine. But I started going to Hornets games because of my relationships with Ronald Norwood. Mm-hmm. Yep, makes sense. I didn't care anything about watching the, the Hornets. I, I cared. I, I wanted to support him. That's the NBA. Imagine <laughs> what it's like at Conference USA when there's a Clemson – uh, uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, a, a, a Duke, a Wake Forest, an NC State, all the different – ECU, all the different competing factors that you have for one Saturday. If you don't have that relationship, people aren't coming to watch you play. I mean, we go from – you know, our, our deal was shake four hands in every class that you're in, right? Get to know the students. It's your job as a as – a, college football player to recruit other students we're mm-hmm. not at Tennessee where there's just going to be 107,000 people there yeah. because you put on uh you, you sing Rocky Top and, and put a T on your chest right <laughs> we got to recruit we got to we got to fan raise and friend raise as much as probably we got to fundraise and so our players you know really buy into that and being a face of a program and and then people having a relation having a relationship with our fans being the most accessible program in the country and you go from having 300 students at a game to 5500 students at a game and selling right. out you know and and they're able to see some of the fruits of their labor and um so i i think getting our name out being accessible uh people wanting to pull for us personally is has been a part of our brand and and it's caught on here in charlotte that's really cool. I, I've actually never heard of the, um, you know, you talked about recruiting fans and having the kids, you know, shake four hands in class. That's that's a really neat thing. Did you? Now we got to like dap them up. You know, I mean, you can't <laughs> shake a hand anymore. You can't hug anybody anymore. Now you got to. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> guys are like kicking each other. I mean, literally, that's how they're saying hello to each other. Is they're doing like some line dance, kicking each other. So uh, we're, we're going to find a new way instead of shake a hand. For but sure. we're still going to continue to be the most successful program in the country. Absolutely, and building that chemistry with the fan base is obviously a must. And, and speaking of chemistry, you know, we've all played on some pretty successful teams growing up uh, through you know junior high and high school. Um, and one of the one of the common threads of those teams has always been incredible team chemistry. Now you've come up with some awesome ideas, such as club lit, to kind of really bring the team together. And you know, where do you find inspiration and creativities for these ideas, such as, you know, when you announced you were going to the Bahamas Bowl as well? That was another cool one. How do you come up with stuff like that? The, the first question that people ask the assistants when they interview for a job here is, like, is all of that for show or is that how he really is? And, and they're like, I wish I could tell you it was for show, but <laughs> the guy's crazy 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So get ready. You, that, that's just the – that's the, you know, the first of it. So um, I, I think that I, I learned about Club Lit um, and, and really celebrating success. Uh, when, you're, when, when we were at Austin P, I I went over my first 13 as a head coach. All right. mm-hmm. I, ran, I ran it all the way up to where we had lost 46 of our last 47 games at Austin P. Wow. Um, and 
uh, I remember going to play Miami of Ohio. So we opened my second year there, 2017. We opened with Cincinnati. We played really well. We looked like a total different football team. We turned the ball over on the three oh. and got stopped on fourth and fourth and one from the two and got beat like 24 to 14, right? Mm. Something 24, 13, somewhere around in there. Uh, had a shot to win the game. It was Fickle's first year. I mean, we go from we got the nation's longest losing streak. We're losing 29 games in a row. We had a chance to go 55 point underdogs. I kept telling our guys, if wow. you win this game, we're going to the ESPYS. <laughs> um, and we played great, you know. Just just couldn't figure out how to win, right? And so the next week we go to Miami of Ohio. Uh, great job by scheduling. You got the longest losing streak in the country and start off with two FBS games. Uh, I think they wanted me fired, but they. Uh, <laughs> And we got no juice. I mean, we're, we we have a great week of preparation, but we get to the game and we just seem dead. Like, uh, you know, nobody's fired up about playing. And uh, so we get swamped. They wear us out. After the game's over with that, that next day, that Sunday, I asked the leadership council, I was like, what is it? You know, I mean, our practices look like we're so hyped and so energetic. And we got out there yesterday and we look, we missed an opportunity. Like, this is what this is what you're working for the week for is an opportunity and, and we just let it slide by. And one of the uh, six-year seniors, uh, Max Ewald, um, <laughs> I'll never forget it. It had won one game in his career there, oh. and he said, "Coach, you know, Monday through Friday we get to hide." He said, "Saturday we get exposed. We've been getting exposed here for a long time on game days. Saturdays are not fun for us." And so I said, "All right, well." When we win this week, we're going to have more fun playing college football than anybody in the country. And we played Moorhead State that week. Uh, we got like 16 personal fouls for celebrations. We took <laughs> down the goalposts. We smoked cigars in the locker room. Um, you know, and, and this kind of club scene was, was created. I mean, boosters are getting off the elevator and they can't breathe because there's so much smoke. That's you know, awesome. we, we end up going – I mean, we only had one practice field. We had the turf and we tear down the goalposts. And so we had like – 80 yards of practicable turf for, for two and a half weeks. And it was, uh, you know, we couldn't practice red zone. And we had like the best two weeks of red zone defense we had in the history of any defense that we've coached. So uh, practice is, is overrated. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, we just created this this environment where these guys were hungry to, to create it again. So it continued and it evolved uh, so much so to the point where, now all of a sudden you've won, you know, five out of your last six. And, and uh, we were playing Southeast Missouri on homecoming, and we're up like 31 to 7 going in the fourth quarter of something like this. And uh, they come back, and it's close. I mean, it ends up 38 31. Um, it's one of those games where you didn't finish, you know, and, and you kind of get this sour taste in your mouth. And, mm-hmm. You're a little bit frustrated with with how you've executed it in the fourth quarter, and just got sloppy. And I got on the headset and I said, "Guys, if uh, I told the staff, I said, if every one of you doesn't walk in this locker room and act like we just won the Super Bowl, then you're all fired." Because three five weeks ago, we would have cut our left arm off mm-hmm. to get a win, and uh, you know we're we're not letting this stop now. So we go in and I rip my shirt off and act like moron and and that's kind of how the, the you know the the real club uh situation started and when we got here we started with charlotte 
Yeah. And oh, then nice. uh, <laughs> we went, we, we added club lip. So we bring a DJ. If we win, he, he sets up and, and plays in there for 45 minutes. And those guys have a blast. If we lose, he packs his stuff up and he heads home. We pay him no matter what. That's cool. I tell the guys I'm not wasting money. So you better win. <laughs> uh, I mean, there were a couple games. We were down 17 in the fourth quarter against North Texas and, yep. The guy's kind of standing in the end zone. Probably his, his truck was about to pull out, and he's like, oh, my gosh, these, these dudes may actually pull off a miracle. Um, but, you know, it is – I mean, the first time we beat Gardner-Webb at home to start our our season, and uh, I run in the locker room and rip my shirt off and, and go nuts. And these guys are like, what is this dude's problem? Uh I remember the first time I made them do up-downs because they didn't celebrate a touchdown enough during practice, you know, and they're like, what is – I mean, seriously, what is wrong with this guy? So uh, it is it is an environment where um, a Tony Bennett quote that I've fallen in love with, because I understand what truly matters, it enables me to enjoy what seems to matter. And for That's me, awesome. I get to enjoy winning and celebrating success because I understand there's a much bigger picture at hand um and and uh so but we're going to enjoy the heck out of when when anybody in our program um is able to achieve success yeah that's awesome coach i really like it um i don't know if you've noticed our other co-host brandon glustner has been still framed for like the last <laughs> 15 minutes i think he needs to upgrade his internet I'm not sure if he can hear this i just thought uh, he was bored with me <laughs> yeah. yeah he's looking at me like come on you got something better than that Oh, yeah, he, awesome. yeah, he hit us with the he hit us with the guys. I'm just spinning here, taking over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm glad to know he just wasn't bored. So that <laughs> yeah, right. So um, I think we'll probably finish up here uh, shortly. Uh, so 2020 has kind of all hit us hard. If you had to describe 2020 in like one or two sentences, how would you describe it right now? <laughs> um. Yeah, I mean, man, that is a great question. Uh, there's so many different ways that I could go just off the top of my head without even trying to be politically correct about it. I mean, it's it, there's not been a dull moment. I can promise you that. Uh, yeah, that's for sure. You know, it, it's it's. I remember early on in this process with with the coronavirus, calling Dabo and saying, "Look, I've read your." guide on dummy scout on how to be a head coach, but there was no coronavirus <laughs> section. And you, you know, I've called Mac Brown and Scott Frost and all these guys and just tried to pick their brain because I don't know how to handle it. And the, and the crazy thing about it is those guys are like, listen, you're actually in okay shape in this one because we've never been through this either, you know? And yeah. so I think you go back to the basics and the beginning of when you were learning how to be a head coach and, and, I'm still learning how to be a head coach, but when you'd never been one before mm -hmm. and you just go back to the ideal of I'm going to choose what I think is right versus wrong and what I think is best for our players and for the people involved. And if I, if I mess it up, I felt like at that point in time that it was the right thing for everybody involved and I'll learn from it. And I, and I hope to not make the same mistake again. So, um, you know, it, it has been, man, um, it has been a whirlwind. There's no question about it. And I don't know that we're, I, you know, as soon as you feel like there's some light at the end of the tunnel, then nobody has an answer. You know, uh, mm -hmm. you see these cases popping up. You don't really know when the season's going to start. Yeah, I mean, there's still a lot of indecision and in, in what's the best practices. Um, and then you throw a, 
you know, a, a, a divided country on top of it and, and social injustice on top of it. Mm-hmm. And, and really all you want to do is you just want to wrap your arms around your players. And now you can't even do that because when you do see them, you can't hug them. You know, when you sometimes you can't see them, you know, so it has been, uh, it has been challenging. It's been eventful. There's been some huge, huge, huge positives to it with spending time with your family and, uh, and, and still developing culture, even, even by, by zoom. Uh, but I am really looking forward to, uh, getting, getting a chance to be around these guys again and the staff again and, and, uh, and moving forward. I don't think it's ever going to be the same, you know, normal. I think this whole season, regardless of when we play is going to be, you're going to meetings are going to be different. Traveling is going to be different. You know, uh, practices are going to be, it's going to be different. So I, I wouldn't say get back to normal. I don't, I don't yeah. know. Right. It's going to change, but um, I'm just excited about having a chance to be around them again. That's cool. Yeah. And coach, as we wrap up here, I, I just wanted to, uh, you, you talked about calling coach Sweeney and coach Frost and a couple other uh, coach Brown, a couple other head coaches. And that's something that's not, you know, talked about very often about how often, you know, how other coaches, even at competing programs, can help each other. Is that a thing you've leaned on a lot through the years? Yeah, I mean, like even in our own conference. I mean, I, I call Skip Holtz and Seth Luttrell and Mike Bloomgren and, and those. I mean, I, I, if I have an issue, I call those guys. Mm-hmm. I, I've never felt like that – I think transparency is really important. If you know what I'm doing, I'm not worried – like – you're not going to get a recruiting advantage on me just because you know how I'm going to handle this or where I mess up or that I'm not perfect. It ain't real hard to figure out. I'm not perfect, you know. Uh, and, and if you can't get a recruiting advantage because my of my career record, then you're sure as heck not going to get it. You know that how I'm going to handle my budget or any of these type of things or how I'm going to handle practice. So yeah, I mean, I try to pick anybody's brain that I can, but. I I also, after I get the information, I'll write four pages of notes down or whatever after having a conversation. And then I go back because I've made this mistake and I try to sit back and say, what fits me? Where can I learn? But how do I make sure that I'm not just trying to be Dabo Sweeney every time I get out in front of mm-hmm. our football team? So what is me? Dabo's got tremendous ideas and has been so helpful. Mac Brown, the same way. Scott Frost, I mean, I, I can go on. And David Cutcliffe has been a huge asset. I've had an opportunity to learn from Dave Clausen and Mike London. I mean, guys that we talked about, Russ Schusman. There's a million different mentors that I have in my life that I've learned from. But I've got to also make sure I think people get in trouble when they try to be somebody other than themselves. Mm-hmm. So what fits us? Uh, and um, But, yeah, I mean, whether it's our conference or – whether, you know, Rusty Wright and I talk all the time at, at Chattanooga. And, I mean, high school, you know, I, I call – I'll call a rec league coach. I don't care. I mean, there's great coaches everywhere that know a heck of a lot more about football than I do. High school coaches, middle school coaches, college coaches, uh, NFL guys. You know, Matt Rule has been great. Ron Rivera has been great. You know, so uh, a lot of different people who have helped me uh, realize how ignorant I am, again, and, and – uh, you know, and then you just take those pieces and you say, okay, I like this idea. What, what fits us? That's very cool. It's very, it's very gratifying to hear that the coaching community is so tight knit and and that they're even willing to help their, um, you know, competitors to an extent. So that's, that's really awesome to hear. I mean, I'll give you, I'll give you a great story and I know you're probably, you can cut any of this that's useless information. (laughs) No, you're great. Go for it, man. Uh, 
I, I remember my first conversations with all of those guys. Like, our, uh, Skip Holtz and I laughed because Skip tried to get me to hire his son whenever I took the job here, and I got a text message, one of 15,000 text messages from somebody saying, hey, hire my guy. Uh, and it's like, hey, this is Skip Holtz. You know, uh, I think my son would be great for your White House job. And I'm like, I don't know this guy. Like, yeah, of course, a conference foe. You want me to hire your son? You want him to be like the snitch in the program? Yeah, I get it. And and now, you know, Skip and I are really, really close, and he's a great mentor. And he tells me every time, he's like, if you just would have hired my son, then, you know, we'd really be friends, you know. And I'm like, I didn't know you from Adam. Uh, Seth Luttrell is another guy that, you know, he and I have become really close. Mike Bloom, I mean, I think that the relationship amongst coaches, it has nothing to do with me not liking or liking you. Your players don't care. Yeah. Your players, I, the the amount of people that, you know, make it personal when you're playing another coach, it's like, dude, you got nothing to do with it. And your players could care less whether you like or dislike somebody else. Yeah. It ain't about you. Right. So um, I, I think developing relationships in this profession is important. And, and, and latch yourself on to people who are doing things the right way. I remember driving through the backwoods of Alabama, uh, and I got a phone call from a Clemson, South Carolina number. And, you know, pick up the phone and, hey, hey Will, this is uh, Dabo Sweeney. I'm like, okay, wow. this is either my best friend, you know, <laughs> Kenny, Tyler, Bryce, you know, Wes. I don't, I don't know who it is, but this is one of my friends playing a joke on me. And he keeps talking, and I'm like, holy crap, this is Davo Sweeney. <laughs> I'm sitting there and, you know, I'm listening and he's, he's talking to me about a GA that he wanted, that he wanted me to hire at Austin P. And so when we finish, I'm like, you know, I'm like man crush. I'm like, Hey uh, coach, can I just tell you something? And he's like, yeah, sure. And I'm like, thank you for what you do for this profession. You know, uh, the way your culture, the way you treat coaches, you, you give me hope that you can do it your way and have success. And, and when you're at the top and people emulate you, it makes it a better profession. And, and, and so I get off the phone and I call my wife and I'm like, Emily, you won't believe who just called me. And she's like, who? I said, Davos Sweeney. And she goes, Will, this is disgusting. She said, I can hear the smile on your face through the phone. That's she's awesome. like, you don't even get this excited when you talk to me, you know? And, uh, and, and, you know, I hadn't really had a chance to be around Dabo a whole lot, but for four years, I kept calling him and he kept answering and he kept giving me advice. I mean, Matt Brown and I ran into each other at a, at a, uh, golf tournament and, you know, went at Austin P at Charlotte. I mean, he called me a week ago and just said, how are you doing? I just wanted to call and check on you. Uh, you know, and uh, Scott Frost, we played each other when I was at Austin P and he was at Central Florida. I mean, the list goes on mm-hmm. and on. There are some really good people in this profession and there are some really bad people in the profession, you know, mm-hmm. not, not for me to judge, but there's some people that I don't want to hitch my mm-hmm. wagons to. Uh, but I've had great experiences with some guys who have done it at a really high level that are also great people. And I can learn a lot. from. That's awesome. That's, that's really cool to hear. Well, coach, we know you got a lot of stuff going on, and, and we appreciate you getting in depth with your program today and, and taking the time uh, to meet with us. And, you know, obviously we don't have crystal ball, so we don't know what, holds, what the future holds for Cobbs football this year. But I, I promise you, if, if we get an opportunity to travel to games this year, Charlotte's on our short list. You know, it's right down the street. Um, so if we get down there at some point, we'd definitely love to say hey and catch up some more. 
I would love it. And uh, tell the spiders hello. Pull, always pull them for the spiders up, up <laughs> in Richmond. Um, it had a tremendous experience there. But, yeah, if y'all are around, please come by and come to our practice and and, uh, and come watch a game. Whatever we can do to, to make sure you're around, we'd love to do it. But thanks for your time, guys. Hey, thank you, Coach. We appreciate it a ton. You have a great day. You yeah, too. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. Yes, sir. Thank appreciate you. It, Coach. What's up, football fans? This is Pastel from Prospects 101, brought to you by Blue Wire Pods. Listen to us weekly on your favorite podcast platform like Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. Hit the subscribe button and make sure you leave us a five-star review today.